Hare Krishna. Yeah. So we are very fortunate today on the Tuesday morning with everyday chant Harinam conference call to have Her Grace Malati Mataji from New Vrindavan, West Virginia. And Mataji is a disciple of Srila Prabhupada and we are very so fortunate to have her on the call. Mataji came before also one or two times and we are very fortunate today to have her. So Mataji, are you, the, are you able to join? Are you here? Yes, I am here. Hare Krishna Mataji, Vajdanam Salam to you. <laughs> Shira Prapat ki jai, Guru Maharaj ki jai. So yes, Mataji, we are still on the traditional call of, uh, you know, hearing <laughs> Shavanam and not on Zoom call. So can you please take over, Mataji? Okay, Hare Krishna Dandavad. Um, I just would like to ask a question. As you were introducing everybody, you were saying Guru Maharaj Ki Jai, but... I mean, which Guru Maharaj are you talking about? Um, we, uh, I'm talking about like, uh, actually I was uh, glorifying my Guru Maharaj. I don't know what the others, <laughs> I was saying. Okay, my well, Guru Maharaj. Let, me, let me explain something to you that was taught yes, by Shri Prabhupada. Let's please say Guru you. Maharaj is a very mm-hmm. impersonal thing unless you're in your own group of God brothers and God sisters, then it's understood who is the Guru Maharaj. But when you're in a mixed group, who knows who, there's so many Guru Maharajas, so then you say the name. Um, you know, you want to say, oh, glory to my Guru Maharaj, so-and-so, so-and-so, whatever the name is. But just okay. to say, oh, glory to Guru Maharaj, that is considered impersonalism. So that was an instruction by His Divine Grace, Sri Prabhupada. Also, in the temple, particularly during Srila Prabhupada's group puja, it is not proper, and again, an instruction by Prabhupada to chant, Jai, Guru Dev, Guru Dev, Guru Dev. He stopped it. He sent somebody to the temple to stop that. You know, he said, it's impersonal. So many Guru Devs. So nowadays, uh, a lot of this etiquette is lost, but... Um, mm-hmm. Nonetheless, we should we should be aware of it. So, therefore, I'm mentioning it. So, good morning, Hare Krishna. Thank you so much, Madhavi. <clears throat> and you know, I you just mentioned this last Sunday. I sang the Narshinga, uh, you know, Arti, and I did I did that. So, I'll be careful. And thank you so much. And then you you men, you mentioned that when we say Guru Maharaj, we say the name of our Guru Maharaj, right? That is okay. Yeah. Okay, yes. okay. Um, yes. and, and again, if you're with your group, if, you know, if, let's say there's a little gathering of disciples of the same yes. group, then we know when you, we know who you're talking about, you know. But here we are, um, and I don't know, who's this Guru Maharaj? Everybody's, in, you know, so that shows respect, and it also yes. lets the hearer know who you're talking about. So Thank you, Mother, you so rightly pointed out. I, be, I will perfect, uh, exactly follow your instructions. You know, you're such a senior disciple of Srila Prabhupada. Thank you so much for guiding. So, Mataji, please, we are eager to all hear. We are just a few people here joined. And uh, please take over. Thank you. Hare Krishna. I will do my best. <laughs> yes, Mataji. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, my, my um, voice is a little cut up today. <laughs> 
I can simply hear the tinkling of your ankle bells. Within those bells, tittery birds can, tittery birds seem to be chirping among themselves. Although I do not see their forms, I can hear how they are chirping. When I look at your beautiful circular hips, I see they are lovely color of kadamba flower, and your waist is encircled by a belt of burning cinders. Indeed, you seem to have forgotten how to dress yourself. Srila Prabhupada's purport. With lusty desires to see Pravachati, Agnidara, especially gaze upon the girl's attractive hips and waist. When a man looks upon a woman with such lusty desires, <coughs> he is captivated by her face, her breast, and her waist. For a woman first attracts a man to fulfill his sexual desires by the beautiful features of her face, by the beautiful slope of her breast, and also by her waist. Pravachati was dressed in fine yellow silk, and therefore her hips look like a kadamba flower. <coughs> because of her belt, her waist seemed to be encircled by burning cinders. She was fully dressed, but Agnidara became so lusty, he asked, why have you come naked? So again, O Brahmana, I can simply hear the tinkling of your ankle bells. Within those bells, titty birds seem to be chirping among themselves. Although I do not see their forms, I can hear how they are chirping. When I look at your beautiful circular hips, I see they are the lovely color of kadamba flowers, and your waist is encircled by a belt of burning cinders. Indeed, you seem to have forgotten how to dress yourself. Om Adyan Tanaran Jansya Jana Anasakaya Chaktumpli Tanjena Tazme Sri Gurave Namaha Namam Vishnu Karaya Krishna Prasaya Bhutale Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swamiti Namane Namaste Saraswati Gauravani Pracharane so, in this particular um, passage from the Bhagavatam, uh, many colorful descriptions are given from examples in life. How less conquers all. How less takes away our good senses and leaves one bereft of proper behavior, proper knowledge, knowledge stolen by illusion. Um, <clears throat> and when a man looks upon a woman, he becomes captivated 
even if it's only in his mind and he's not saying anything or acting outward, but looking with that source of desires and the mind becomes captivated. And um, in this verse, you know, key part is we see the world and others through the filter of our own consciousness and desires. And in this case, there's a, um, uh, a woman and a man. But nowadays it can be anybody and you can switch it around. Everybody is equally um, able to be captivated by lusty desires. By looking upon the opposite sex or even the same sex with an intention for enjoyment, even if it's just you and mine. <clears throat> even though she was fully dressed, Agni Dira had become so lusty that he asked her, why have you come naked? Because that's how he was seeing her. It, it, it describes in the verse her, her, her yellow cloth. Actually, it was the yellow cloth was circling, circling her hips. So it's compared to a kadamba flower, which is yellowish. But then it was also being compared to like a wreath of fire. Uh, fire is, um, of course, the less. And because Agnidra had not bothered to check his senses to refrain from, you know, the objects of the senses and seeing the object of the sense as a possibility for his sense gratification, he was looking up her up on her as being undressed, naked in other words. So that's how he saw a sense object rather than a person or a fellow soul, you know. This is the power of lust. <clears throat> And um, interestingly enough, in this verse, it's one of the few in the Bhagavatam that gives the responsibility for a man's lust to the man and doesn't indicate that it's somehow the woman's fault. It was his impure vision. He was seeing something that isn't real through the filter of lust rather than the filter of truth. So, um, does his meditation was just sharpened by his lust. And he became like Pitaloka Kama, our desires of being transferred to the planet of Pitaloka. And the reason was he wanted a good son, and he wanted a good son in order to carry on the uh, tradition of offering to the forefathers, and, you know, eventually he'd be a forefather and he didn't want to be abandoned. <clears throat> so um, Lord Brahma responded to his desire by sending this Apsara. So he got what he wanted, or what he thought he wanted. But as in the case, in so many instances, that was followed by so much suffering. You know, we know the famous story of Chitraketu and the desire for the sun, and then, you know, how that ended. Um, I thought it was interesting when I was reading back through the purports, and one of the purports, Prabhupada was um, mentioning how you know, the religious principles beginning with Varnasha and Dharma, etc., um, are not being followed this day, which we all know very well. And, um, that, you know, it's, the, the, these religious principles are there to guide the head of state, to guide the citizens, in order to keep the citizens and the head of state um, on the path of true dharma, on the path of pure religiosity. And he mentioned that, you know, contrary to the principles of, of dharma, the, the 
presidents and chief executives in the age of colleagues, they're simply acting like mundane tax collectors. They don't care whether religious principles are being observed or not. And all kinds of sinful activity are going on, particularly um, before principles that we endeavor to follow, illicit sex, intoxication, animal killing, gambling, all of them are prominently manifested. Prabhupada wrote, these sinful activities are now prominently manifested in India. Um, formerly, and this is fifth canto, so I'm not sure the time frame. I didn't have time to check that where he where he wrote the purports. But um, in the first canto of the Bhagavatam, those purports are extremely powerful, and he wrote them prior to coming to America. He hadn't been to America. He hadn't even been out of India. And he's writing those purports just as if he was, just like Sanjay was there at the at the battlefield of Kurukshetra and in real time describing everything to Vidurastra. So Sri Prabhupada is describing everything in real time, although there he is in India. Um, what is going on, what will go on, how it will go on. And the accuracy of such descriptions is astounding. And at the same time, why should it be astounding? Because Sri Prabhupada is connected 100% with Krishna. Krishna was always dictating to him. Uh, Prabhupada wasn't spinning his brains trying to figure something out, or, you know, come up with some catchy phrase. He was listening to Krishna and giving us what Krishna told him. He said that, therefore, um, you know, we can understand that everything that is being presented in these purports are absolutely bona fide. The Krishna consciousness movement is the only hope to save the world for, for the devastation that is about to come and is coming is present nowadays. We can even see a good portion of America suffering for the most common commodity, for one of the most common commodity and most needed commodity, which is water, which is speak of pure air, fresh air, because our air, the air pollution has become so predominating. So fresh air water and it's it's becoming scarce and there's great droughts going on um, in the western states and in other states we have too much water and this is the um, quality of the lifestyle that's going on um, so it's interesting um, how in many cases for example so in this case Brahma sent Purvachati and Apsara to satisfy the desires of um, Maharaj Agnidara. And um, she didn't just run up to him. She, she, was, she, was, she said she began by strolling in a beautiful park, you know, and described this beautiful scene. The king was meditating, he was worshipping, he wanted someone. So there he's in this beautiful situation. And um, she just begins by strolling, you know. Birds were tripping nicely, clear water, beautiful foliage. And then she passed, it was this guy, she passed by on the road in a beautiful style and mood of her own. And as she walked, the ornaments on her ankle bells tinkled with every step. So then what happens Agnidara, who was trying to control his senses, practicing yoga, um, he could see with his, you know, just the eyes were half open, 
But as soon as he heard those tinkling angle bells, that sound, he opened his eyes, and then he could see what was there in front of him. <clears throat> sound is the most powerful of provocations. You know, we're usually quite um, careful about what we eat. Like when we go shopping, we're, you know, maybe if you're going to buy something um, that's in a box, you look on the ingredients. What are the ingredients? What is this made with? And what kind of facility is it made in? We're very careful what we put in our mouth, or at least we should be. In fact, the only thing we should be putting in our mouth is that which has been offered to Lord Krishna and has become purified and is therefore pure Krishna prasadam. Being a vegetarian is just, you know, a sideline or a side effect of honoring Krishna prasadam because by honoring Krishna prasadam, prasadam, automatically you are a vegetarian. So, you know, here's the yogi. And certainly he would have been careful what he was eating or maybe if he was fasting, careful, you know, about observing the fast. But he wasn't careful enough about what he allowed into the ears and so he hears, he hears these ankle bells and he becomes disturbed. And he could have just continued meditating and let her just go by, but he, out of being disturbed, he lost control of his senses and he opened his eyes to have a look. Mm-hmm. You know, so then, of course, seeing this personality, he became you know, much more um, agitated, much more inclined to uh, becoming entangled. So, and then, you know, there is that, they were given many examples. Um, with the Vishwamrita, he um, broke his mystic practice to get together with Manika. They had a child known as Shakuntala. So, you know, this practice of mystic yoga or meditation, it's just not sufficient to control the senses. Um, there has to be that Krishna connection. And uh, otherwise, it's very easy to find yourself being bewildered and entering into some kind of activity that actually you hadn't really thought about initially, but by becoming attracted to sound, to sight, and the mind becoming um, captivated when one acts in a way that is contrary to what one's spiritual necessity in life is. So, um, of course, it's not that women are the bad guys. You know, um, it's our mind. It's our senses. It's our lack of determination. Because it could be anyone or anything. Lord Chaitanya was warning devotees to beware the attraction of beautiful women and materialistic civilization. He even refused to sing, refused to sing, uh, to um, give King Prataparuda darshan because he was a materialistic person. Kings by nature, materialistic, they're opulent, you know. So if one is engaged in devotional service of the Lord, then um, they become serious about going back home, back to Godhead. And then naturally we'll be careful to avoid seeing things, contemplating things that will um, cause one to be distracted, disturbed, and even um, fall down. 
from their spiritual um, practices. So, in this situation, clearly um, seeing how Pravachati, she was just strolling by. Of course, she was sent by Indra. That's another thing, you know, like she, she didn't decide to go there. Indra was engaging her um, to, to um, attract, you know, specifically to attract um, Agnizara because that's what he wanted. But he could have, like, checked himself. And he could have, he could have, like, you know, woke up and said, oh, wait a minute, what am I doing? You know, but he just, like, went for it, you know. So he said, why did you, why did you come naked? He, you know, he got to the blunt point. Um, you know, so with an Apsara, you could say that is like a heavenly um, prostitute. Um, and prostitutes were there in the, um, in, in the in the Vedic times. There, there's many mentions of prostitutes. Well, one other, in, in the Bhagavatam, there's a mention of Pingala. And um, this lady... Again, a prostitute. Um, she was, she was, like, they gave a description, but she was desiring to bring a lover, who's a customer, into her house. So she, every night, she would stand outside, leaning on the doorway, <clears throat> to show her beautiful form. So there's many actions that one can do knowingly or unknowingly that can be provocating. So, you know, dressing in a provocating manner, leaning on the door, like showing casual, like showing a casual mood, like, you know, unavailable mood. So just by one's dress, just, just by one's posturing, one can understand the intention. Prabhupada told us early on how in the Vedic times, according to one's address, one would understand your status in life. So the prostitutes, um, they wouldn't part their hair in the center. They would um, part it on the side and leave it long. They didn't tie it back. And, um, and dress in a, in a way that would attract attention, particularly the senses of men who they needed to have, they, they needed to have men as customers in order to you know, maintain their, their livelihood. So there, Pingala was anxious to get money, and she was standing up. And came by, she was thinking, "Oh, surely this one has money. I know he can pay the price. I'm sure he would enjoy my company." And uh, she thought about. Uh, every man who came by was on going through a mind possible you know possible um customer and um so this was her means of substances substance this prostitution and so she would become angry not angry anxious that maybe this one who's coming oh he's very rich oh he's not stopping well i'm sure someone else will come or that man will come so she's you know in her mind checking everybody out and then as she was finding herself without a customer, she was leaning against the doorway, unable to finish her business and go to sleep. And out of anxiety, she would sometimes walk out toward the street, sometimes go back, go in and out, in and out, and finally midnight arrived. 
And the night wore on. Her intense, her desire intensified the desire for money. And when she realized it wasn't going to happen, she became morose. Her face dried up. You know, because you know somebody when they're expecting something, there's a certain um, mood that comes out through the face. You know, so she was naturally as a prostitute would apply some cosmetics and and you know she was trying to become quite um, attractive. But when she was not getting a customer and her hopes were being dashed, then her anxiety um, dried up her face and she was very disappointed. And then suddenly, though, an amazing thing happened. Um, She began to feel a great detachment from her situation and actual happiness arose in her mind. And she felt disgusted with her material situation and she became indifferent to it. So it's like describes detachment acts like a sword cutting to pieces a binding network of material hopes and desires so um she was then narrator was saying that there hear for me the song sung by the prostitute in that situation so the pinkler said just see how greatly illusioned i am because i cannot control my mind just like a fool i desire lusty pleasure I'm an insignificant man. I'm such a fool. I've given up the service to that person who, being internally situated within my heart, is actually most dear to me. The most dear one is the Lord of the universe, who is a bestower of real love and happiness and the source of all prosperity. And although the Lord is in my own heart, I've completely neglected him. And we all do that. Every day, isn't it? The Lord is in our heart. We know that. We hear it. And yet, we ignore him. So Pingler was also expressing that. And she goes, instead, I've ignorantly served insignificant men who can never satisfy my real desire and have simply brought me unhappiness, fear, anxiety, lamentation, and illusion. And that happens whether we, we are not necessarily prostitutes, but when we ignore the Lord in our heart and we serve our own mundane desires, then the result is this unhappiness, this fear, this anxiety, lamentation, and illusion. And she took it further. I have uselessly tortured my own soul. I've sold my body to lusty, greedy men who are themselves objects of pity and thus practicing the most abominable profession of a prostitute I hoped to get money and sex pleasure so she's being very honest you can say brutally honest this material body is like a house in which I the soul am living the bones forming my spine ribs arms and legs are like the beams and cross beams and pillars of the house and the whole structure which is full of stool and urine is covered by skin hair and nails the nine doors leading to this body are constantly excreting foul substances. Besides me, what woman would be so foolish as to devote herself to this material body thinking she might find pleasure and love in this contraption? You know, there's that, um, maybe some of you remember, it used to be a story, we love to hear this story, and we love to do little dramas called Liquid Beauty. So Prabhupada, you would 
give us these anecdotes. And um, I don't know, some of them nowadays aren't, they're considered, I guess, not appropriate because they're so graphic. But if we don't, if, if it's not graphic, then we're not going to get it. So one of the stories he told that we like to perform as a little, um, as a little drama, a little skit, was Liquid Beauty about the teen who was taking, or the prince, I guess he was a prince, and he was taking a walk, and he came upon this beautiful lady. And he's just like, bang, Cupid hit his heart. And he goes, oh, beautiful one, I want to unite with you. I want to be with you. So she had no interest in him, but she didn't say that. She said, okay, we'll come back in a week. I'll give you all my beauty. So he was elated. And each day is just like, oh, I'm one day closer. I'm one day closer to this beautiful damsel. And so then he came to that spot a week later. And he goes, see this kind of withered up, kind of haggard looking person. He's looking around for his beautiful loved one. And he goes, have you seen this beautiful princess-like woman? And this kind of dried up, withered, not so beautiful lady says, I am that woman you're looking for. And he goes, oh, no, you're not. It's <laughs> you know, this dried up, ugly old thing. And she goes, I promised you my beauty. Here it is. And she brings out a container. And in that container was all kinds of stool and urine and blood. It was disgusting. What she had done was she was taking a strong purgative every day so she was vomiting and passing stool and urine, just like diarrhea, and she was putting it in this container. So now that was what was inside the body that was causing the so-called beauty, and now she's giving it to that person, and he was just like, ooh, <laughs> disgusting. But that is the case. You know, we're just looking at this body. It's a beautiful, you know, somebody's a beautifully wrapped up, nice-looking body, and other bodies, not so much. And then you get the old bodies. And, you know, like when you get this old body, you look in the mirror and you're like, what happened to me? You know, we all know it's going to happen. And then we see it happen because this outer covering, this package is only temporary. And beneath it is all the stuff that fills it out. And it's all disgusting, you know. But we still have hopes. We still have hopes being satisfied in this body. Haridas Thakur also, he was just sitting and chanting Hare Krishna in front of Tulsi Devi. And um, the, the, the residents, the Nala, became envious and they wanted to bring him down because he was respected so much. So he sent this beautiful prostitute, Shantamani, and she came and was describing how she was dressed very provocatively and she was moved in and moving in an enticing way in front of him, right in front of him, you know, she wasn't even being subtle. And finally he goes, do you want something? Yes, I want to unite with you. So he was very cool. He goes, all right, but, you know, I have to, I've taken a vow. I have to chant so many names. So you can come back later. Then, you know, later I can surely satisfy your desire. So she was thinking, oh, great. And she came back later 
I think I was, alas, I'm so sorry, but I didn't finish my number of rounds. And I, I can't do anything until I've finished. So maybe come tomorrow. So she went back and reported, you know, they're like, okay, did you succeed? And she goes, well, not exactly, but he's going to see me tomorrow. And so again, she came back and it was the same thing. He didn't finish his rounds. So each time she was going, She's hearing what? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. It means, unknowingly, she was becoming purified to the point one day she realized what a shameful behavior she was engaged in and she came before him with folded hands and begged his forgiveness. And he kindly instructed her how to chant Hare Krishna. And he told her, you stay here with Tulsi and chant Hare Krishna. And he, he left. And she followed his instructions and people became completely amazed because they all knew she'd been a prostitute. And now, and he had told her, give away all of your fancy clothes and jewelry. Just give it away, you know, and dress simply. So now there she was, dressed simply, chanting Hare Krishna. And people came to take spiritual knowledge from her. Some even um, accepted her as his guru. So our mind is also like a prostitute. It comes and tries to entice us with so many different um, desires and so many different ways to fulfill that desire. Like the minute we sit down to chant, Hare Krishna, oh, the mind jumps right in, doesn't it? You know, hey, wait a minute, what are you doing? Listen to me, listen to me, you know. Um, the mind's like a prostitute. But knowing that, we should just, when the mind engages us or tries to engage us, my dear mind, here, just sit for a minute. Sit sit on the shelf for a minute. I'll be back, but first I have to chant. That's how we should deal with the mind. Another um, story was about Bill Mangala Thakur. He's, you know, a very well-situated person, but he also became enticed, madly enticed, madly in love with a prostitute who was actually a great devotee of Krishna. And one night where there was a huge storm, he still decided to go see her and he was just like totally bewildered by lust. He had, there was, you know, a flash flood. There was like, yeah, they get across that flash flood and there was a body flowing and he saw the body as a log and he crossed the river, flooding river on this, using this dead body. He sees a, snake, but he saw the snake as a vine going up to the window of Shantamani and he's crawling up and she's looking at him like, my God, I can't believe it. If you had, and she tells him, if you had this much attachment to the Supreme Personality of God and Lord Krishna, you'd be liberated. And when she spoke to him the truth, he became ashamed of himself and he decided he would no more engage with this lady and um, he went on to become a great devotee. At one point he was going and to Vrind- so he's going to Vrindavan and his, he saw some beautiful lady and his mind kind of flickered. He, he didn't do anything but the, that instant, that little flickering of the mind disgusted him so much that he poked out his eyes and removed um and of course, you know, just because you're blind doesn't mean you're not going to have any lusty desires. 
but he was now attuned to the fact that the mind was the gateway to just um, becoming agitated and deviating from his, his real purpose in life. And the eyes were um, giving him an opportunity to become deviated, so he just took out his eyes. Not something, you know, recommended um, nowadays or for an average person naturally. Best is control the mind through practicing bhakti yoga. I wanted to mention a couple of things um, off topic indirectly it's about because it's about Prabhupada. But two days ago, it was October 10th, so 10-10, there was a very um, famous event. It happened in Thompson Square Park beneath an American elm tree. Drawing grace to the Prabhupada, unknown to anyone at that time, and those who knew him only called him Swamiji, he sat down with a little bongo drum and he was chanting Hare Krishna, Kirtan, and it was recorded. So the first recorded case of Hare Krishna Mahamantra in the West occurred on 10-10-66. And then another little history was on one um, 1767, so a little while later, Srila Prabhupada, for the first time, flew an airplane and came to San Francisco. So um, today is 10-12, and today there was another um, extraordinary occurrence, historic occurrence, that Srila Prabhupada arrived at Johannesburg Airport in South Africa, and it was actually culturally extraordinary because there were white men bowing down before an Indian. Now, you may think, well, it's a big deal, but strict apartheid and segregation in South Africa. So the black people were once segregated, the brown people, like Indians, were segregated, and the white people were the cause of the segregation. So to have a white to see white men bowing down before an Indian was absolutely extraordinary. And on top of that, the devotees had borrowed um, a Mercedes-Benz, a yellow Mercedes-Benz. Now, the devotees who were there were basically from America, um, and they had taken this austerity to go to South Africa, which was considered a fairly impossible place, um, along with China and Russia at that time. So they had borrowed a Mercedes-Benz and they parked in a spot reserved for the state ministers and other dignitaries. But no one objected, you know. So Prabhupada arrived and the devotees were throwing flower petals and there were some young European onlookers and they also bowed down. And the priests who were impressed by all the protocol, they were saluting through the Prabhupada. And it was the priests who respectfully opened the door of the mercedes um, as, as I mentioned, it was plagued by apartheid in those days, and the white-bodied people had assumed a superior position, and they had imposed the policies of segregation based on race. So the native blacks and the many Indians who had settled there were being humiliated, and so this seeing the white man bowing to Shiva Prabhupada was almost unheard of. And then um, shortly after that, there has been a program arranged. And because you couldn't cross from one place to the other, 
according to where you were segregated, you stayed in your area unless you had some business and then you had to have some kind of ID to show that you were allowed to go into, let's say, the white person's, because, of course, you probably would be going if you had some kind of usual um, job there or service. So, but otherwise, you just didn't go from one place to the other. So um, the devotees had arranged a program and it was in an area that was with the white people. So now there was a dilemma because um, the other people, blacks or the browns, they couldn't go there. And the devotees had gone out, the white devotees had gone out on the Harinam all through all the places because they were white. They could travel from one segregated place to the other. And then there was people following them. But when they got to the point where it was now segregated against the um, the blacks or the browns, they, they didn't cross that boundary, but the, the program was over in that area. And when Prabhupada saw what was going on, he, he said, if the, the devotees explained that they couldn't come. He asked, why aren't they coming? And the devotees explained they couldn't come. So Prabhupada said, if they can't come, then I won't come either. And then the devotees were jubilant, and they called the, they called the people, and they came, the browns and the blacks. And it was like a not-so-subtle act of civil disobedience, but actually nobody nobody said anything. Um, it was just as they could, you know, normally they could have all been arrested, including Shiva Prabhupada. But it was such a powerful transcendental experience that um, nothing, there was no repercussion except that these fortunate people got to hear the holy name and take Krishna Prasadam for them. So, um, also, um, one of my. It wasn't on the Vaishnav calendar, but I was given a message today that today, October 12th, 2021, is um, in other parts of the world where they observe Durga Puja. So we can understand Durga Puja from an ISKCON um, perspective because, no, we don't worship demigods. Um, we can honor demigods in different ways, just like we can honor Lord Shiva by offering him a Mahavaran from Krishna, offering a Mahaprasad from Krishna. Um, so, Navaratri and Durga Puja, they're celebrated in pomp and splendor all over India and other parts of the world. Um, and Prabhupada cites in the purport to Bhagavad Gita, verse 17:14, that one should not do anything which is not sanctioned by scriptural injunctions. So um, as long as we're in the material world, it's understood we're in a prison. And who's the head of the prison in the material world? That's Durga, Durga Devi. And just as prisoners are given a particular type of uniform, our uniform, this material body, or be it an animal body, plant body, human body, we all have a bit material body. It means we have a uniform. So like this body is like the uniform of the prisoners in the material world. And as long as we have the body, we're under the realm of Durga Devi. And that means we're all prisoners. So most of the prison uniforms have stripes. And similarly, we have stripes. If we mark our face with the beautiful mark of the tilak on our face and our body, that's our uniform as devotees. And then we become Krishna's prisoners and not the prisoners of Durga. But we should understand that Durga is working under the direction of Lord Krishna. 
as we hear in Brahma Samhita. Shristi Sisti Palaya Saranasak Tireka Chayeva Yasha Bhuvanami Vivati Durga Ishanurupama Piyasacha Shista Tatesa Govinda Mari Kusham Tamahangajami So the translation is that the external potency, Maya, who is of the nature of the shadow of the Jit potency, is worshipped by all people as Durga, the creating, preserving, and destroying agency of this mundane world. I adore the primeval Lord Govinda in accordance with whose will Durga conducts herself. She's not independent of the controller. She simply acts under the direction of the Supreme Lord, just as a shadow follows the substance. So Durga has two sons, Ganesh and Kartikeya, and they represent the mundane success and beauty. And that's why people who wish to be materially successful worship Ganesh. She's seen as... um, She's seen as standing along with Lakshmi and Saraswati, who both represent mundane opulence and knowledge, respectively. And she carries 20 weapons in her arms. And these weapons represent various pious activities enjoyed in the Vedas. And she has a snake in her hand. It's a very fearful form, isn't it? She has a snake, and this represents the beauty of destructive time. And she tramples over the demons. Mahishasura, and this rep- it represents how she can trample over the vices in this world. You know, it's kind of amazing how um, it's a fairly recent addition to the entry into Brudge. But there's when you come off the main road, Chati, and then you enter into Chatikala Road to go to Vrindavan, there's this gigantic, huge. Um, um, form of Durga, you know, on her tiger with all her weapons, with the snake, and you know. it is very fearful form. You may wonder, well, why would they have a form of Durga in the, you know, as we enter Vrindavan? But she's there to keep out. You know, if you don't have any intention of serving Krishna, and you don't have an intention of coming to Vrindavan to serve Krishna and glorify Krishna. She's there to captivate you, you know. So when the jiva forgets the eternal relationship with Krishna, then he's put into Durga's realm. And the veil of karma acts as the instrument for punishing the rebellious jivas. That's her business, to punish the rebellious jivas. But it's not really punishment. It's meant for reformation. <clears throat> Just like when somebody's sent into prison, it's really meant not so much as punishment, although sometimes yes, but it's actually meant to reform the errant soul, to, to reform the lawbreaker. So Durga Devi, she's having that trident, the trishul. So the trishul represents the threefold miseries, the material miseries, this adiatrika, adibotika, adidaivika miseries. And every moment in life, Everyone, without exception, suffers due to one, two, or all three of these miseries. So these miseries are not anything but trishul of Durga. She's constantly picking up the jivas with her trishul, but the idea is to jiva-jago, wake up the jiva. It's not punishing. No. Why am I suffering so much in this material world? We should be asking ourselves, 
Why am I forced to be in a room packed up for nine months in the upside down position in darkness? Oh, so um, that's our situation. And Krishna reminds us of the misery in this material world. Old age is coming, disease, death. Earth, again and again, it's always suffering. So the living entity comes to this point. Why am I suffering? How can I find solution to the problem? And he turns to the Vedas, to knowledge, to Brahmanas and Guru, with whom he can, um, <coughs> can inquire. So, although we don't observe Durga Puja, we can respectfully um, remember Durga as a great servant of Lord Krishna who is trying to benefit the living entities who are under her illusion. And her illusion has been put there in order to help the living entity come to their senses. You know, like, why am I suffering? Why am I here? What is going on? So she gives us a poke with her trident. So we don't want to do Durga. uh, Actually, I was just remembering to quote about this and Saraswati that Durga Puja is not dancing for Hindi songs, taking intoxication and having fun as we see nowadays in Puja Pandals. Real Durga Puja is to become a Krishna Bhakta. Then Durga will be really happy. But if we worship her in any way we like whimsically, then we're fools. So this body is her property and ultimately she's going to take over our body. So by worshipping her, it means we're worshipping our own death. So then Srila Bhakti Siddhanta says, they're fools, such fools. But we don't want to worship Durga Puja as fools for materialistic comforts. We do, we can observe Durga Puja by becoming a Krishna Bhakta. So that would be most pleasing to Durga and obviously most pleasing to Krishna. So, so many different stories in the Bhagavatam to help us try to remember Krishna, try to get out of our darkness of ignorance and our attachment for so-called material this material so-called pleasure is just not there. That's why this world is here. And um, so let us act like the fools that we are, but then hopefully come, hopefully come to the state of realization that this is a place of suffering. Why am I suffering? Just like Satatanga Swami, he approached Chaitanya Mahaprabhu inquired, why am I suffering? When someone asks this question, Human life starts at this point. And then the Vedas and spiritual master can give us knowledge. You're not the body, you're soul. The soul is eternal for the bliss of knowledge. Jiva Goswami asked, Why am I suffering in this material world? This is not my place. And where is the situation where I can live my eternity bliss and knowledge? So the intelligent person comes to that point and then the spiritual master can begin instructing and because we're now to the point of wanting to be cured of our material illusion and disease, we're able to hear. So far as we're trying to hang on to material enjoyment, our hearing becomes impaired. Not even hearing aids can help you. 
So the spiritual master will instruct, it's not this material world that you belong. It's the spiritual world, back home, back to Godhead, where there's no more birth, death, disease, or old age. And intelligent person, how can I get that? Guru will tell, yes, you have to perform devotional service. Oh, how can I perform devotional service? Just chant, hey, Krishna, and be happy, and go back home to the Godhead. This is the instruction. So, Hare Krishna. Okay. Is there any quick questions? I have to leave in nine minutes. <laughs> Hare Krishna, Mataji. Yeah, sure. Mataji, thank you I so much. Have... Yes, Mataji? I have a few minutes. I, I have um I have to leave because I have another back to back. Yes, we are so and thankful that you know today and hopefully we pray for more association in the future. Your class was very nice, and you know the the purport we were reading today, and when you gave these different different stories, you know you touched upon so many stories which show uh, to us that how you know, like lust has to be controlled, you know. And Haridas Thakur, of course, you mentioned. So wonderful, wonderful. So Mataji, one question I have, which is not really to the context, but can I ask you? Go ahead. So Mataji, yeah. like, I'm coming from like an Indian background. So a lot of our relatives are not devotees, right? So yeah. I have heard that Lord Chaitanya say, Lord Chaitanya has mentioned that you associate only with devotees. But then when these relatives of ours are there, like sister, mother, so many other people, you know, who, uh, I mean, when they come and stay with us, they become devote, they follow some devotional service they do. But then again, they intermingle with other people who are not devotees and the situation becomes like, you know, it's so hard to deal and what to do. So sometimes we also hear that we have to give uh, our association, not take. So in this, can you yeah. just give some thoughts, Mataji? <laughs> Anyways, the family is part of the Maya. Let's be blunt. Um, people don't like to hear that, but it's the reality because we're not these bodies. They're not these bodies. And whatever bodies we have, they all belong to Krishna. So we, you belong to Krishna, I belong to Krishna, and they also belong to Krishna. Now, to some extent, we have come to the point of realizing, or at least we understand it. If we realize it, we'd be fully liberated. So we understand it. Um, on the other hand, these these souls, they, they, don't, they don't get it yet. But as you say, if you invite them, they come to your house, then they're going to get your association. So to the ability that you're able to give them your association nicely, um, they get that benefit. But, we, you know, it's up to them to pick up the ball and run. You know, they have to take advantage of what is being offered. And as you say, as soon as they leave, they can they go back to their other friends or other, you know, illusions. But you've done your part. You've done your part. One, um, this the idea of associating is now you sometimes even like let's say you have to go to their house. Now there may be some things that you would not prefer to do. Maybe they have a television on, or they want some you know nonsense music. Um, you can't do anything about it. You're the guest. So the best you can just do is silently within 
chant Hare Krishna. It used to be in the old days, devotees would go to, let's say, what, let's say they go to a relative's house or parent's house, and there's the TV or some music, like I mentioned, right? and they'd get their beads. Hey, it's Hare Krishna, you know, like really loud and crazy chanting to, you know, try to protect themselves. But that did not impress their families very much, to say the least. So, you know, just silently chant in your mind. Do your business. It means whatever reason you're at the house, just do that, you know. Just like, you know, if you go on stage, and let's say you're playing a demon on the stage, so you play that role, and then when the when the um, drama's over, you come off the stage and return to your normal situation. So in the same way, when you go to the home of relatives or others, you know, play your role. You don't have to do the things they're doing that if it's against our principles. But, you know, you can be nice, you can be pleasant, play your role, and when it's time to leave, leave as soon as possible and get back to your your um, normal devotional activities. Yes, Mataji, thank you so much for the concise answer. So as Mataji mentioned, she has to leave. Uh, maybe one or, one or two questions more, if possible, maybe one. Does anybody have any comment or questions? Hare Krishna, Malati Mataji, please accept my humble All glories to Srila Prabhupada and Guru Maharaj. Mataji, very nice class. <clears throat> my question is, Mataji, you did mention in the class uh, some historical fact from Iskon that Srila Prabhupada, um, the Srila Prabhupada was first time recorded on 10, 10, 67 or 66? No, 66. 66. Oh, with the blue On 67 January, his first time he was on a plane. Oh. He went from New York to San Francisco. Oh, for the first time. Very nice. Yeah, it was his first plane ride. Yeah. One one sixty seven, and the ten ten sixty six was the first time when he was recorded uh, doing the kirtan uh, in the town yes. with the bingo drum. Yes, a little drum. You can see that little drum in New yes. Vrindavan, actually. Uh huh. That little drum is here in New Vrindavan. Oh, it's in New Vrindavan. Oh. Yeah, at Prabhupada's Palace of Gold, you can see it. There. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Amazing, huh? Oh, yeah, thank you so much for sharing so wonderful historical facts about our Iskon and Shila Prabhupada. Shila Prabhupada, Jai. Thank you, Mataji. Yes, so I have to take my leave from all of you. I wish you well. Um, Kartik is coming, so we have the opportunity of the beautiful daily Damodaras to come offering and um, it's a time of the year we all look forward to and I um, bless all of you to be able to chat wonderful rounds without too much distraction by your prostitute mind. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Mataji, thank you so much. Thank you. We pay our thank you so much. Mm -hmm.